Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking tonight at verses 10 through 24. And as I just mentioned, we're going to be uh, looking at, course, looking at, of course, the subject of spiritual warfare. And so before we get into the chapter, I just want to give you a little bit of an introduction or maybe just a little bit of a background on uh, what Paul has been talking about as we uh, really we pick up in the last section of his letter to these believers. Um, he, uh, I mean, this is a powerful epistle. It's an immensely uh, rich uh, letter. It's written to the Ephesian believers. It's written uh, to us as believers. And in this letter, uh, Paul talks about the wealth of a believer. He talks about the walk of a believer. And he and tonight, we're going to see what Paul has to say about the warfare of the believer. Paul's final exhortation to these believers was them was for them to engage in the battle. And the fact, that's the fact. I mean, the fact is that we are all soldiers for Jesus Christ and we're to engage in battle daily. Another way that I've heard this epistle summed up is like this. It could be summed up in three phrases. Number one, the sit. Number two, the walk. And number three, the stand. The sit, the walk. And the stand. Paul began begins by telling us what, or he begins in, in back in Ephesians chapter one. He talks about how we have believers that we've been seated in the heavenlies. Ephesians one three, uh, Paul talks about how uh, we've been blessed, how we've been uh, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He talks about our position, that how we as adopted children, how we have how we as sons of God, how he chose us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, how he predestined us for adoption, that in him we have redemption through his blood, that we have the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us. Paul talks about how God has made known to us the mystery of his will. We learned about what God has done for us, how he saved us, how he secured us by his grace, and that there's nothing else for us to do to affect our eternal position in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1.11 that in him we have obtained an inheritance. He also goes on to say in verse 13 that in him um, that we were sealed with the promise of his Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So we go from the sit, and now we go to the walk. Paul goes to the walk. Knowing what God has done in us should be the motivation for us to live. This is our walk as believers. He talks about the walk of a believer, the practical way that we are to live in Christ. In chapter 2, verses 4 to 9, Paul talks about how God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ, and that how by grace we have been saved, and that he's raised us up with him, and how he's seated us with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, 8, that for by grace we have been saved through faith. And in verse 10, Paul says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. He calls us to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing in one another with, with love. Paul also goes on to talk about the new life that we have in Christ, how we're to put off our old self and how we're to put on the new self. Chapter 5 talks about how we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Verse, chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, To look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Paul gives specific instructions on how we're to walk, how we're to live out our lives as believers. And finally, we'll go into chapter 6, and that's where we're going to pick up. Paul saw that there was something more critical for us to know, and that is the subject uh, tonight of spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about the whole armor of God. You see, the Christian life, it, it, the Christian life is not a playground. There are many people who give their lives to the Lord. They've come, they come, they're broken, they're humbled, and as we should be, as we need to recognize our need for a Savior. But the reality is that once we get saved, we are in a battle. Our, yes, our, our, our burden of guilt and shame has been lifted, but now we have a new enemy, one that we have never recognized before. And this is what we're going to look at tonight. Not only the reality of this enemy, but how we're to engage in battle with the enemy. Here in verse 10, Paul writes, finally, to the believers, to you, to me, He writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Note, Paul says, finally. Look, this is important, Paul is saying. He's telling these believers to be strong in the Lord. He's not saying, look, look deep within yourselves. Be strong. Find that strength within yourselves. And in the strength of your own might. No, he doesn't say that. He says to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He begins by exhorting these believers to be strong. Not in in their own power, not in our own power, but he exhorts us to be strong in his power. In the strength of his might. In fact, if I try to be strong in my own might, I can't be strong in his might. And that's why Paul said... In 2 Corinthians 12.10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. All throughout the Bible, we find uh, that God is commanding his people to be strong. And in fact, the book of Ephesians has been referred to as the Joshua of the New Testament. And these parallels are evident in the experiences of the children of Israel. As they went into the promised land, Joshua is, of course, the successor of Moses. He was led to take the children of Israel into this new territory, into the land of Canaan. And that land was filled with, with wickedness. Far from the idea that some have suggested that this is sort of a picture of our transition into heaven. I don't think anything could be further from the truth. The reality of what took place... Was, was that, or I'm sorry, the reality of what, of, of what that took place was like for Joshua. It didn't take long for Joshua to discover that he had trouble the moment that he went into that land. Yet God had sent him. God had sent the children of Israel into Canaan. That was the promised land which they were to inherit. But there were already people living in the land. And these people were wicked. They were bad. Many of them were tough. There were giants in the land. And God sent his children into the land to go and fight. The book of Joshua is much like our lives as Christians today. Though we've been blessed as God's people, though we've been chosen in him, Paul said that we're going to face an ongoing battle. As long as the enemy is in the land and if we're going to be victorious in our battle, we need to first be aware that there is a battle. So Paul is going to tell us how then we can be strong. In verse 11, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against principalities, against authorities or powers, against the cosmic uh, rulers over this present darkness or over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Sometimes the reality of this spiritual warfare is something that 
you and I are totally oblivious to. If, if I'm unaware that the devil has this all-out assault upon my life, then I will not be able to fight him. I certainly won't be effective. I must understand that the devil is real and recognize when he is at work. I mean, imagine stepping into a boxing ring, and you go into the boxing ring, and you're, uh, and you're blindfolded, and your opponent isn't. What's going to happen? Well, you're not going to last long. You'll be taken down within seconds. And when we look, when we look at the world around us, it's quite evident that there's something supernatural going on. How else can we see so much evil in the world today? How much do we, can we see so much injustice being done by so many? So many wicked rulers having such power and such influence over millions of people. How do we see the nations of the world that seem to be joining together and in opposition to anything that is godly? In tyranny and ungodliness to bring in pain and injustice over innocent human beings? Well, the answer is this. There's a devil. The one who Jesus described as being the prince of this world. We're battling an unseen enemy. And contrary to popular opinion and even ridicule, the devil is a real person. He's the reason that there's so much evil in the world today. We can battle all that we want against political figures, against our enemies, against dictators. But if we do it in our flesh, it's going to accomplish nothing. We need to recognize the battle that we're in. That we're in and we need to recognize that the battle that we're in is spiritual. We must be aware not only of the existence of our enemy, but of his strategies. Paul says we're to put on this armor, the whole armor of God. Why? So that you might be able to stand against the wiles, so that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This word used for the word uh, wiles or the word scheming and the Greek word, it comes from the Greek word methodeia, which simply is where we get the word methods from. Another word, for, another word for that could be strategies, it could be tactics, it could be scheming, craftiness, deceit. And it speaks of a predictable method used in organized trickery or well-crafted trickery. You see, the devil, he's strategic. He's deliberate in all that he does. And we're fighting against an enemy who has an intended method. And that method is to destroy the plans and purposes of God and God's people. So our first response is to be aware of the reality of our spiritual warfare as believers. And notice who we're, who, notice who we're fighting against. Is it flesh and blood? No. Paul says in verse 12 that we're fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What are these? It's been suggested that these are spiritual hierarchies, that these are, these are part of the organization that Satan has established to accomplish his purposes in the world. Our enemy is organized with a host of forces that are coordinated and working together against God and against us as believers. But here's my point. We're no match. We're no match for this enemy. We're no match on our own. I should never think that I can just take on the devil on my own. There's people that do that. There are people that do that in their prayers. They try to address the devil. We should never try to take on the devil ourselves. And we should never also think that ignorance is bliss. When I don't know won't hurt me. Because what I don't know will hurt me in this case. This is the reality. So Paul is going to tell us what we are to do. If we're to have any kind of uh, victory against the battle. Or a victory in the battle against our enemy. We must put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God. It does no good for us just to put on one piece of the suit. We must put it all on. You, I'm sure you could make a parallel to, to, to really 
anything. Think of a person who wears a uniform. They need to wear the full uniform to be effective, correct? I mean, I think, I mean, just thinking about it, just off the top of my head, I mountain bike. I love mountain biking. I try to go mountain biking as much as I can, but it's been a while. It's just been so busy. But when I go mountain biking, I wear a uniform. It's not a uniform, but I wear, I wear gear to protect me. I wear knee pads to protect my knees, arm pads to protect my arms, a helmet to protect my head. If I go out there without a helmet and I fall, I could fall and land on, on my back and my arms would be braced and I wouldn't get a scratch on my, on my arms. But guess what? The force of the fall would kick my head back and if I didn't have a helmet on, my head would get severely injured. You can make that parallel for a police officer. Think about it. A police officer, he wears a belt. The belt has his gear. He carries his gun that that's held by his holster. Um, he carries a, a stick to fight with. Uh, he wears a bulletproof vest to protect him from bullets that can come from the enemy's gun. There's many parallels that you can make, but that's the reality. We must put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, to protect ourselves. And, of course, we're not talking about any physical kind of armor tonight. We're talking about a spiritual armor. 2 Corinthians 10.3, Paul says that for though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk or war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. So since we are in this spiritual battle, then we must fight spiritual with spiritual. If we stand against the wiles of the devil, then we're going to have victory. But we need to stand. We need to put on the whole armor of God daily because the devil never, never, he never takes a break. He doesn't take a Sabbath. He doesn't take a rest. He's wily. He's crafty. He's cunning. And he's often subtle. He knows our very weaknesses. And he knows the things about each and every one of us that are going to take us down. And that will cause us to fall and cause us to stumble. Don't underestimate his power. If you think you're strong enough to resist him on your own, you're mistaken. So how do we overcome things like doubt? In fear, condemnation, depression, evil thoughts, were to put on the whole armor of God. These are things that are all from the devil. These are the attacks and the strategies of the devil. Spiritual warfare, it often begins in our mind. These, those, those evil thoughts, where do they come from? Oftentimes they come from our enemy, the devil. Ever wonder why sometimes you're in a bad mood? Why is my day going so bad? Why is everything at work going against me? Why does my family seem to be completely uh, pestering me? Or why is everything going wrong in my life? Well, often we need to recognize the reality of spiritual warfare, and that's it. The enemy is trying to destroy us. The Bible says that the thief, he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that's exactly what he desires to do with each of our lives. And so we need to be aware of how the enemy works. If we're going to have victory over his strategies, we need to, number one, recognize them. And then we also need to be equipped and we need to, to, to respond. So Paul says, as we go on to verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So this is our response. We need to stand our ground and we need to stand strong. We need to fight. Not any one of us is exempt from the battle that we're in. We all need to put on the armor of God and fight. We'll see that God has given us the spiritual armor so that we can combat the wiles of the devil, so that we can stand against these things. So Paul is going to give us six pieces of armor. Highlight these in your Bible if you haven't highlighted them already. These are something that we as Christians should be able to know like the back of our hand. 
the armor of God. No doubt, Paul was influenced by the imagery of the Roman soldiers there in Rome. And of course, Paul was writing this letter from prison in Rome. And no doubt, I'm sure, he would have seen these Roman soldiers. Perhaps he was even shackled to one as he was writing this letter. And he says there in verse 14, for us to stand therefore, having fastened or having girded on the belt of truth. So here Paul mentions the belt of truth. We have the belt of truth. Paul gives us, uh, it's used to wrap around the body of the soldier. And it will hold the sword in his side and, of course, keep everything else together. And it symbolizes our source of inner strength that holds us together. We live in a day which truth has really been questioned, if not even outright denied. I think we see that daily, right? Just with the things that are going on in the world around us, with the ideologies and the agendas that are being pushed down our throats. Really, truth has become whatever, really what, whatever what, what somebody wants it to be. Your truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. And there can, but the Bible says this. The Bible says that there can only be one truth, and the Bible declares the truth to be God's word. And if we don't have the truth, then everything else becomes relative. Nothing else really matters. There becomes no such thing as right and wrong or good and evil. All of those things are completely subjective without the truth. If how you feel determines what the truth is, that is a wrong way of determining the truth. We must have the truth of God's word at the center of our lives. If we're not bound by the truth, then everything in our lives will fall apart. We have to have everything linked and connected to that truth, and that is our belt. That's the belt that we wear, the truth of God's word. And then Paul goes on and says that, We have put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Of course, this is the breastplate being spoken of that the soldier would would wear. Uh, And this breastplate was intended to protect the soldier's vital organs. It was meant to protect the lungs, the heart the pancreas, all those vital organs that if they were hit, if they were struck by the enemy in battle, then they would be instantly taken out, if not killed. The breastplate protected against those fatal blows of the very core of the soldier. In a practical sense, our breastplate of righteousness is to the protection of right, by the protection by right living. The breastplate of righteousness. Our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. We've inherited his righteousness. How we are living for the Lord, having a right standing before the Lord, being mindful of our conduct, our example, our witness, that that there is what is going to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. And it also refers to our emotions or our feelings. How often do we fail to live right because we just don't feel like it or because we're just too lazy? I don't feel like saying I'm sorry. I don't feel like doing the right thing. I don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like going to church tonight. I don't feel like reading the word of God. And the enemy comes in and he defeats us because our emotions or our feelings are overriding our willpower. If I will, if I will, will do something, or if I will to will to do something, if I exercise my will, my emotions will follow. Don't let your emotions be the thing that direct and guides you, especially in your walk and in your relationship with the Lord in your life. Our will should be the one to direct our emotions, and they will fall in line as we read and we spend time with God in his word. It's amazing how that works. 
the time that we spend. The time that we spend, just take a, a, a daily sample of your life and think about your emotions, think about the stress that you deal with, and then think about how you started that day. Did you start that day out with prayer? Did you start that day out with, with reading God's word? I can tell you just in testi- testimony of my own life, I know that the days, no matter how bombarded I am with the cares of this world, no matter how much stress I engage with at work or in the home or just on the outside world, if I start my day right in the Lord, it's cake. I mean, it, it really is because our focus is on the Lord. Our focus is on things that are above, not on things that are below, as Colossians says. Um, we need to live in a way that reflects the spirit of God dwelling in our hearts. And that's what it is to live a right life. We need to consciously live a life that's pleasing to him. I mean, we can't be living in, in sin and then expect to have victory over the powers of the devil and, that, and, and, and have that protection of the spiritual armor of God when we're just living our lives and pleasing our flesh and doing what we want to do. I mean, we're going to fall. We'll get struck down with one blow from the enemy. We have no protection when we open ourselves up. If I'm not living a godly, righteous life before the Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit, then the enemy is going to have full access to attack me. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.16, To be holy, for I am holy. That there is right living. And we do that by surrendering unto the Lord and allowing his spirit to work in our lives. By yielding our, ourselves unto him completely. In verse 15, Paul says, and as shoes for your feet. Now he talks about uh, the shoes that protect your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The soldier's shoes are an essential part. And his sandals is really what they were. Those were an essential part of his equipment. You may not think much about it, but... But they were. In order for the soldier to stand his ground, he needed a strong pair of shoes. These shoes, the sandals that these Roman soldiers often wore, were studded. They had straps around them so that they could not only secure the foot, but also the ankle and the lower part of their leg so that they would be able to hold their ground. So that when the battle got tough, he'd be able to dig in his heels, and that was his confidence in battle. And that's what the gospel is for us. The gospel. The gospel message, it's, it's really so, it's a simple message, right? That there's a God in heaven. A God who created you and me, you and I. A God who sent his son to a world that was condemned by its sin. He sent his son to die. He'd sent his son to die upon the cross for our sins, to be punished for the sins that we were deserving of being punished for. He died, he rose again from the grave on the third day. There's there's not much to it, but there's so much significance. There's so much power in the message of the gospel. And it's amazing that many people just, they can't explain the truth of the gospel. They They can't live out the gospel in their own lives. And that's because we need the Holy Spirit. We need, we need his strength. If we're confident in your understanding of the message of the gospel, you're going to be able to share it with others. And if you don't have a strong confidence in what you believe, then you're not going to be able to stand your ground. You're going to fall. You're going to give in to that sin when opportunity presents itself. 
people are going to know that, oh, he or she, he's a Christian, but I know they'll fall. I know they'll give in, so I'm going to offer them something. And you take the bait, and you go for it, and then you stand, and you're like, what did I do? But we need to have strong, we need to have a confidence in him. Have no confidence in the flesh. When the enemy attacks the truth of the gospel of peace, when, I'm sorry, when the enemy attacks the truth of the gospel of peace, you're not going to be able to hold your ground. You've got to know and understand the gospel. We have to understand it in order to be able to share it. In order to share it, in order to share God's love with a lost and fallen world, to be we need to stand firmly upon the truth of the gospel. And in verse, verse 16, Paul says, um, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So the Roman soldier, he would also carry a large shield. It was typically about two and a half feet by four feet. And that shield was called a scutum. And it was usually made out of wood, and it was overlaid with leather. And it would be perfect to be able to stop those fiery darts, those arrows of the enemy, which were usually dipped in tar and lit on fire. They were fired at the enemy as they came approaching them, but those shields, those shields would stop. They would ward off those fiery darts and protect them and keep them safe from the harm that they would cause. And it was particularly um, effective, especially when, it was, when these shields were used in long lineups of soldiers. They would lock their shields together, protecting themselves until the enemy ran out of ammunition. And then they would go in and seize the battle. The devil, we were told, shoots those, those fiery darts at us. And when he does, we're to use the shield of faith. When the devil tries to cut, when he tries to cause doubt, when he causes us to doubt the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, what do we do? We're to pull out our shield. We're to get behind our shield. You know, it's amazing how when we're going through a tremendous trial, the devil barrages us with his fiery darts. And then all of a sudden, what do we do? We start to question and we start to doubt everything that we've believed up to that point. Everything just got washed away because I didn't bring up the shield of faith. We didn't block those fiery darts. We didn't use the shield of faith. We're to take up the shield of faith, Paul says here. We're to bring it out. We're to fall back on the promises of God's word. Because truly the Lord is good and truly all things work together for those who love God. The Bible says, these are the promises of God. If you're without your shield, then your faith will quickly crumble. And of course, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more that you know God's word the more faith that you will have and the more protected you will be in your life. So we go on to verse 17. Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation. The Roman soldier's helmet was not only decorative, but it was protective. Have you seen, can you guys picture the uh, Roman soldier's helmet? It's a nice looking, it's, it's nice, right? It, I mean, think about it. And, you know, I, I mean, like I just okay, forgive me. I'm going to think of mountain biking again, but I think of like the helmets. I, I have this fascination with mountain bike helmets. I don't know why, but they look cool, and I like wearing them. I like buying different helmets whenever I have that opportunity. But um, it's not it's not about how it looks. It's how is that helmet going to protect me? And the same was true for the Roman soldier. It was intended for something that would be odd and revered. But more so, it was something that was meant to protect. Our spiritual helmet of salvation is decorative in the sense 
that we put it on to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. We need to remind ourselves of the reality of our salvation. You know, it's amazing how quickly we can forget what God has done for us and how he has saved us, how God has saved us from our sins, how, you know, how I'm a new creation in Christ, right? It's like we, we're, we're that old man. That old man wants to just come out so much. He's, all, he's there. And we got we to gotta put on the new, take off the old, just like we do our, our clothes every day, right? Put on the new clothes and take off the old. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things become new. We must remind ourselves of the promises of God. So in that sense, the helmet, it's for our mind. It's to protect our minds. We need to protect our minds from the lies of the devil, the the influences of the devil. You know, the enemy, he wants you to question your salvation. You know, he wants you to to ask yourself, you know, am I really saved? Is God really at work in my life? Am I really a new creation in Christ? Are my sins really forgiven? I mean, how many people doubt whether they're actually saved after they've sinned? After they've fallen and they've questioned, oh, I'm not saved, how can I possibly be saved? when I fell into the same sin that God just cleansed me from. You see, our enemy wants us to be influenced by the world around us. And we need to be careful what we put into our minds. You know, there's so much just information out there these days. I mean, it says that, I mean, we live in the information age right now, right? We have information coming at us from, from every angle, So we need to be careful what we allow, what we put into our minds. You know, am I spending more time watching the news or reading things online rather than spending time in God's word? We're to guard our mind. Put on the helmet of salvation, Paul says. And then in verse 17, the last part, he says, and the sword of the spirit. This is the word of God. Finally, we come to the one weapon that's included in our armor, our one offensive weapon. And that's the word of God. He describes it as the sword. The word for the sword here in the Greek refers to a sword that is actually a small double-edged sword. It's a fighting two-handed or one-handed sword that would be used to fight in that short hand-to-hand combat. The times when the Roman soldier was too close to the enemy to fight with a long-range weapon, he had to bring out the short sword and fight hand-to-hand in battle, engaging. And that's the kind of sword that Paul is referring here to for the believer. Sword. What's after the S? Word. W-O-R-D. The sword of the spirit is the word, the word of God. And this is the offensive weapon that we have to fight back against the wiles and against the schemes of the devil. And perhaps the best example that we have is seen in the New Testament in the life of our Lord Jesus himself. When Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. He was tired. He was worn out. But at the end of that period, the devil came and he tried to tempt him to cause him to abandon his mission and to turn away from what it was that God had called him to do. Three times, Satan tried to tempt Jesus, tempting him to give up, tempting him to surrender to him, to take advantage of Jesus' physical weakness. And that's when the devil usually attacks us, when we're physically tired. When we're mentally drained, when we feel like we can't go on another day, and all of a sudden, 
I can't take it any longer. And that's when the devil comes right in. And that's when we need to be our strongest. We can only do that through the power of the word of God. The sword of the spirit. That's our offensive weapon. Each time that Jesus responded to the enemy, it was with the spirit. The word of the spirit. The word of God. Each time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Each and every time he battled against the powers of the enemy with the word of God, with the sword of the spirit. There's two words in the Greek for that word. One is the word logos, which simply means a literal word. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was was with God, John 1.1. The word logos. But here Paul uses a different word as the word rhema. And that that word literally means sayings, which means something that we would actually know what to say when we need to say it. It's not necessarily having the word of God in my mind, but it's having the word of God in my heart so that God can bring it out at that moment that we need it. And that's the importance of knowing our Bibles, knowing the word of God and how to use it. Because the devil, you see, is no match for the man or for the woman who knows God's word. The man who has a solid working knowledge of the word of God is an effective force against the powers of darkness. The man who knows how to use it, as Hebrews 4.12 says, that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a living word that has an application for every situation. Every battle were to bring out the sword. Use the sword. Don't leave it on your belt. Use it. It's meant to be used. Follow the example of our Lord, how Jesus used it, how he declared to the devil himself, it is written, it is written. Know how to use the weapon that God has given to you. Read through his word, read through the gospels and see how frequently Jesus responded to his enemies, to his adversaries with the word of God, bringing out the scriptures to answer his opponents. For us, there's three effective ways for us uh, to be effective with our, with our sword. Number one is we need to read it. We need to read the word of God daily. Every day we need to be in the word of God. And the second thing is that not only should we be reading his word, but we need to study his word. We need to actually study his word. Studying God's word means to, to, to go deeper than just a, a superficial reading or a cursory understanding of what the word of God says. We're to study it. We're to learn it. We're to learn what it says beneath the simple, simple cursory overview and learn what God's word is saying to you, to us, to me. Learn it. Just don't read it. And the third thing is, is that we need to memorize the scriptures. You know, that's something that we should always be doing is memorizing, memorizing scripture, always be working on some verse, on some passage in the scriptures that God is is going to bring out. You know, in in our men's study, we have a memory verse that we put in there for every lesson that we do. And it's there not just to memorize, but it's there for you to memorize it and to use it. To use it. It's the word of God. It's our offensive weapon. It's what we're to use to engage in battle. It's his word. The Bible says that God brings all things to remembrance. He will bring them in a timely manner. So it will be absolutely the right word as the Holy Spirit gives us utterance when we need it. I think that's fascinating. It's a God thing. It's because he's good. It's because he's faithful. It's because he loves us. And he's given us his spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us. To help us remember these things. So as we open up his word and we read, we spend time 
the first thing we should be doing is asking, Lord, I, I come to you before you. I ask you, Lord, to give me understanding, give me knowledge, help me to memorize, help me to know you. How does this apply to my life? You know, be asking yourself these questions. Who is this passage talking about? What is it talking about? Where is it? What's the background? What's the context? These are all things that I know you all know. But if we do these things, we're going to become victorious in our spiritual warfare against the devil. And finally, Paul uh, calls for one last yet essential component of our spiritual victory, and that is prayer. Verses 18 to 20, Paul says, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may given, uh, I'm sorry, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador and chains, chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see, praying in the Spirit. He says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. We all know that the Bible says that we're to pray without ceasing, right? Well, Paul says here that we're to pray at all times. That could be without ceasing, having a constant attitude of prayer, but in the Spirit. That's the key. Because without spirit-led prayer, our prayers become meaningless. We can pray for things that we might feel that we need to pray for, but the Holy Spirit needs to be the one who guides us in and through our prayers so that we're praying not according to my will, not according to my desires, but according to his will, according to his desires. And if we pray according to his will, the Bible says we know that he hears us and God will do those things that we're praying. For if I'm to have the victory, if I'm going to be effective in, effective in battle, then I must pray in the spirit. But here we see Paul's desire. His desire wasn't for himself to be set free. Keep in mind, he could have been writing this letter from prison. He could have been chained, chained to a Roman soldier. But what was his desire? It was that the gospel might have free course so that he might be able to speak boldly those things that bring true freedom because only the gospel can bring true freedom. Paul wasn't concerned about his spiritual, I'm sorry, about his physical condition. He wasn't concerned about his circumstances. He wasn't concerned about being chained or being in prison. He wasn't concerned with his daily needs. He was concerned with the purposes of God. He was concerned with the purposes of God being accomplished in this world. May we have that same mind. If we do this, then we become effective. We become powerful in the hands of God against the wiles of the devil. And finally, Paul closes. Let's read verses 21 to 24. It says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So here Paul closes this glorious letter all that we have in Christ what God has done for us who we are and what God desires to do in each and every one of us in and through his son may we know the riches of his fullness who he is what he's done a life of victory in Christ 
May we thank the Lord for his word tonight. May we thank him for the spirit that lives within our hearts, for the power that he's given us through his spirit, that his spirit, that he's the one who is opening up understanding so that as we read these things, we have no need that any man should teach us, but it is his Holy Spirit who teaches us. He teaches us all that we need. So my prayer tonight is that for us as men and women of God, men of faith, women of faith, men who are men of prayer, women of prayer, a people of the word, a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might be instruments so that you would be used by the Lord to be an effective tool, to be an effective weapon against the powers of the enemy that we live in this world today, that we can go against that. We know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the wicked forces of the world, against the wicked forces of darkness that prevail But God has said in his word that greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And as believers, Jesus Christ dwells in each of our hearts. So let's close and ask the Lord to help us to walk in boldness, that we be able to stand at the end of the day against or in the midst of darkness, in the midst of opposition, that we would have the power and the strength as we put on the whole armor of God to be men and women who are not falling into sin but to be when to be men and women who are engaged to be men and women who are soldiers for Christ men and women not giving in to the wiles of the devil to be filled with his power by his spirit amen amen Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just want to thank you uh, tonight for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. And we thank you, Lord, that you've, uh, that you've given us your word, Lord. Thank you, God, for all you do in our lives. I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place tonight, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Strengthen us and enable us, Lord, to go into battle. Help us to uh, have the right mindset, Lord, to have the right perspective, Lord, of the world that, we're, that we are living in, Father. And so, Lord, I, I just uh, pray you bless our time of fellowship here. Um, may we be encouraged, Lord, and be built up. I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen.